so um, as I was uh, just thinking through our passage this morning, I was reminded of a, a funny little incident um, when uh, we had, I think our, our first two boys were really little and we had our, the first house that we had bought and, uh, you know, we had great ideas for how we were going to improve our, our new home and, and um, so we had some ideas about transforming the bathroom and uh, taking some things out and putting some things in and, and uh, at, at that point in my life I think I had a tape measure and a circular saw and my, uh, my father-in-law, Jim Fruhan, he was coming for a visit. We lived in Indiana at the time. He lived, they lived in San Diego, and he was coming for a visit. Um, and, uh, and so he, he was uh, actually doing construction at that time, so I thought, wow, this is great timing. We're looking to redo our bathroom, and he's wanting to visit, and we can kind of use the grandkids to get him out here to help us help us do this project. So, uh, so he, he came out and we explained, I explained, here's, here's what we want to do for, with the bathroom. And it's like, okay. So, you know, the first, first, first thing that he wants to do, uh, because he traveled without his tools is, is let's take stock inventory of what do we have to work with? And so I hold up both of my tools, like this is what we have to work with. And he's just like, you know, probably having regrets at that moment. Uh, so we went, to, uh, we went to Home Depot, and we got a couple of things. One, one tool that uh, I've actually passed down to one of, my, one of my boys that I used for years and years and years, and it was a constant reminder of, of this fun little incident, but um, was a torpedo level. You guys know what a torpedo level is? It's only about this long. It's just a little level. Uh, it predominantly does little jobs, and uh, well, eventually, uh, we somehow uh, Jim masterfully figured out how to use a little torpedo level, a circular saw, and a tape measure uh, to to redo this whole bathroom. But um, but years later, the funny thing is, is I actually ended up becoming a carpenter <laughs> and had my own business doing it. Well. I'll tell you that when I became a carpenter, that little torpedo level was not sufficient anymore. It could do a lot of things, and in a pinch it could do quite a lot, uh, but it couldn't do everything that I needed it to if I were going to actually do carpentry for a living. And so I had to upgrade. I had to get a man-sized level, frankly, to do, to do the work that I needed to do. Well, you know, as we, I was reminded of that because in our passage today in Hebrews, and really this whole part of Hebrews that we're going through, there is a contrast between the insufficient and the sufficient. The, the old and the, and the thing that fell short with the new and, and the thing that is completely, or that is complete and perfect and adequate um, and so there's today we're going to look in our passage and compare the old and the new and and there's really this through chapter eight and nine here there's a lot of uh, back and forth between 
the old or the, or the first um, and the new. And um, the old covenant, the new covenant. The old sacrifices, the new sacrifice. The old mediators or priests and the new priest. And so it's this constant back and forth here. And today what we're going to take a look at is the first few verses of uh, chapter 9. And actually I want to pick up on the tail end of chapter 8 as we go into this. And look at the old versus the new. Because as we, uh, you know, as Dave lit our candle this morning reminding us of the peace that, that enters the heart of the believer because of uh, Jesus Christ giving his life for us. And um, the peace that we have with God, the peace that we have internally now because of the presence of Christ in our life. Um, that, that didn't happen until something new came into the world. And, I, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, is that new system that comes with Christ. And, and so let's look at, um, and, and what, that, what that ultimately brings into the world, because there was a transformation that happened um, on two levels. One, in the way that mankind worships God and relates to God, fellowships with God, and two, in what happens in the heart of people. And so there's transformation on both levels there and that we're going to look at. So let me uh, just start by asking the Lord to help us this morning. Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would um, just teach us your truth, teach us your word, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that are fertile places for the seed of your word to be sown, um, Lord, by your spirit, we just ask that you would give us understanding um, and wisdom, that we would be drawn deeper into fellowship with you, that you would teach us more about yourself, that you would teach us more uh, even about ourselves for the sake of us drawing near, nearer to you. Lord, that we would know um, this great gift that you have offered to each one of us and know it even more, uh, more deeply as each day goes by, and treasure it more and more. Uh, Lord, we just uh, ask for your, your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and, and growing old is ready to vanish away. Uh, before we move on from there, I want to just kind of work our way through this because um, the, 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 the language that's used here in, in this last verse here is uh, the, the new covenant. The word that's used there, the word covenant isn't actually used there. Um, it's translated with the word covenant because to help us understand, rather than just saying and speaking of the new uh, it says new covenants for, for our benefit in the translation there. But the word used there is uh, kainos or kainos or something like that. But it refers to, um, it, the idea of newness definitely is, is accurate. Um, but, it, but there's a connotation that goes with that of a, a freshness. Something recently made. 
Um, and the contrast is with what comes after it when he says he makes the first, um, and first there being, there's two ways that that word gets translated. First, in terms of sequence, things happen in an order. So one thing comes before another. And then it can also be translated as first in prominence. In this particular passage, we're talking about first in sequence, not first in prominence or importance, but first in sequence. This thing happens before the next thing. And so the first covenant, the old covenant, happened before the new covenant. And so it says, in speaking of the, the new, he makes the, the, the first obsolete. And, and so the, what's being, this, the word here that's, that's used for the, the old covenant, or the first one uh, in sequence here, it, it actually is um, carrying with it the idea of something that is uh, worn out. It's, it's hit its expiration date. It's time for it to be replaced. Um, you may have uh, a, a favorite shirt, guys, specifically. You may have a favorite shirt. Your wife has noticed it is time for it to be replaced. Right? It's time for the old thing to disappear and to be replaced with something new. That's kind of the idea that's being communicated here is that there is, there is something new that has now come on the scene and there's something old that is now becoming obsolete because it is worn out. It is used up. It is, uh, it, it is, is past its, ex- its expiration date. It is, no, it is ancient. Um. And so we and so it says, and what is becoming obsolete, which is that same that same word there again. So it's ancient and it's becoming ancienter. Right? It's not getting any younger. It's not getting any better. It's worn out and it's becoming more worn out. And growing old, and that that's a different word there when it says growing old, and that carries with it the idea that it's just degrading. It's just, it's just fallen apart. Um, I feel like this is probably the way my kids talk about me. Um, what is becoming obsolete and growing old, it's degrading, it's this, this ancient thing that's worn out, it's tired, and it's getting worse by the moment, is ready to vanish away. And so Christ has come, and with him something new, something fresh. And, and it's not just something new that will again wear out, right? We're not talking, of, Jesus is not like a pair of shoes where it feels great to put the new pair of shoes on and get rid of the old, but you know the new ones are going to wear out and need to be replaced. That's not what Jesus brings. Jesus brings something that's new, fresh, complete for eternity, that will never wear out, but is totally and completely sufficient for everyone who believes in Him. And so Hebrews is all about, uh, especially this part of Hebrews, is all about pointing to us, pointing uh, out to us the differences between now the old and the new that's replacing it. Now, um, think, uh, try, if you can, to put yourself a little bit in the position of those who would have been receiving uh, the Word of God, Hebrews, um, originally. So Hebrews being written to, 
Any guesses? Hebrews. Yes, exactly. So folks who were, who were very used to uh, a Jewish religious system, uh, who were used to the sacrificial system. Now, the, the dating of Hebrews would suggest that it probably happens before the destruction of the temple. So if that's the case, then what would we know? E- even though this is after the time that Jesus has come, it's, if it's before the destruction of the temple um, in AD 70, then, then what is happening in the temple between the time that Christ is uh, crucified and resurrected and the time the temple is destroyed? Things are still clipping along in the temple. There is still a practice going on in the temple that is contrary now to what God has brought into the world with Messiah. And so what was happening in the temple, once Jesus came, what was happening in the temple now becomes largely meaningless. It is only a shadow of the very thing that God has now brought into the world through Christ. It is like, it is like uh, uh, in the, what is going on in the temple is like um, a, a child playing with a plastic kitchen set compared to uh, their mother in the kitchen making something with real ingredients. So, so what was happening, so the Jews here, they're, they're, they have friends, they have neighbors, they have family members who are still uh, keeping up this religious practice in the temple of the sacrificial system and, and all that was involved in, in that, the religious, uh, the religious uh, regulations that were involved in, in trying to live out the old covenant. Meanwhile, they have discovered that Christ has come into the world. Messiah has come. And now the old is, is antiquated. It's, it's, been, it's vanishing. And the new has come. Whereby people can actually have direct fellowship and communion with God no longer through a priest who goes into the Holy of Holies once a, once a year, but, but now have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our mediator, our high priest. And so you can imagine that now the, the place that they're living in, the space they're living in, is there's still this Jewish uh, uh, religious, the sacrificial system going on while now Christ has come into the world and the two are kind of bumping into each other. So as Jewish Uh, People are now becoming believers and giving their lives to Christ and by faith taking hold of the sufficient sacrifice of Christ and submitting to now the, the, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who now advocates before the Father for them directly instead of uh, going to the temple and bringing animal sacrifices and counting on the human priest to represent them before God. They also are having friends and neighbors who have not yet discovered Christ and who are still trusting in the old covenant to be sufficient. And so in this, in this language here, it kind of makes it sound like um, in, in verse, chapter 8, verse 13, and chapter 9, verse 1, it kind of makes it sound like the old covenant is not yet done. But the reality is the old covenant was done when Jesus Christ came into this world. 
The old covenant factually ended when Messiah came. However, the practice of keeping the regulations of the old covenant did not. And so there's a way in which, practically speaking, in this world, it felt like the two covenants kind of overlapped each other. And so what Hebrews is saying is the old one is vanishing away. And we know in AD 70 that the temple was destroyed. God kind of put his foot down on it and squashed that. And the, old, the sacrificial system ended. So as we get to uh, now, the, uh, moving into verse 1, it says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. So the, the, uh, what, what lay, is laid out here is a reminder of what was contained in, that, in the old regulations. Now remember, before we get to this spot, um, Hebrews has already said, these are a shadow of heavenly things, an earthly picture of heavenly truths and realities. And so it lays before us now, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. And, and you'll notice here that the word earthly gets thrown in uh, every now and then to remind us that there's a distinction between the earthly and the heavenly. There were earthly high priests or earthly priests and then there's a heavenly high priest and his name is Jesus. For a tent was prepared the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence it is called the holy place. Now this this is a reference to specifically not to the temple but to the tabernacle and uh Essentially, what, uh, just for cl- uh, hopefully clarity, if, if you go back to Exodus, what God laid out a design for was the tabernacle. It was a, a movable structure um, intended for the worship of God and the manifest presence of God among his people. And it had two chambers in it. Um, there was the first one and the second one. The first one was uh, more accessible than the second. The second was the most holy place. And so that's there were so there were two chambers and so the first one that's being spoken of here is the mo, the more accessible of the two. It is called the holy place. Uh, behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Now if you're interested in in kind of recapping on some of that, you can go back through the book of Exodus. You can also uh, revisit uh, this the sermons through Exodus there um, to brush up on some of that because each one of these things have a, a lot of meaning in them. Uh, very symbolic earthly symbols of heavenly realities within the tabernacle that were all pointing forward to this coming of Christ. And, and so having the golden altar of incense uh, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a, a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6, these 
preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people." So there were, there were ongoing duties happening in the, in the first chamber of, of the tabernacle. There were ongoing duties. But in the second, that was only accessed once a year by the, most, uh, by the, by the high priest. And, and they, that would only be one time a year. And when they went in there, they had to take a blood sacrifice, the blood of a sacrifice with them for two reasons. Did you catch them? The first one is to cover their own sin because they're fallible, sinful human beings still going into the most holy place. And the second was to cover the unintentional sins of the people. Verse 8, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So in other words, what we have going on here is the two, the first section and the second section, they're divided by this curtain. And, and only the priest could go into that second chamber one time a year and only then if they had a blood sacrifice for themselves and, and, and then the people. And the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding through that process that it is not open access to God yet. It is, the access to the, to the Father is not open to everyone. The Holy of Holies is not accessible to everyone. And so it says that this is uh, symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now, what, what's being set up for here is that there is something that has come that now has changed that. Where access to the, the most holy place was limited, something has changed now where that, has cha- that has changed access to God. Something has changed where the, whereas the, the conscience of the worshiper could never be uh, perfected, could never be cleansed, could never be transformed. Something has now changed where the worshiper can be transformed. But the old system, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, cannot transform the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Until the time when things are changed. Until the time when the old is done away with and the new has come. And so the... the I want to I visit... Um, a passage in Second Corinthians because there, what has happened is, and I hope you, what you'll see as we go through this is that God has made a way for us to know Him, 
not just know of him. God has made a way for us to be transformed, not just polished up on the outside. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, um, here's, here's what I accuse you of. Here's the accusation I have against you is you are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but in, on the inside is corruption and death. He said you're like a cup that's all cleaned on the outside, but inside is just filthy. Christ came that we aren't whitewashed tombs, that we aren't just polished up on the outside and and full of corruption and death on the inside that we're not like a cup that is can be washed on the outside of the cup and look great on the shelf but would disgust you if you actually had to drink out of it but rather Christ came that we would be completely clean and in the most important sense so when Jesus says you're whitewashed tombs It's one thing to clean the outside. It's another thing to be clean on the inside. If you had to drink out of a a glass, would you, and only one side of that glass could be cleaned, would you prefer it to be the inside or the outside? The inside, right? And the Bible reminds us that God looks on the heart, doesn't he? Christ came that we would be transformed on the inside. Something the old covenant could not do. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, Now if the ministry of death, which is interesting, he, he refers, he's, refer, he's talking about the same thing Hebrews is talking about here. The old covenant and the new covenant, but he refers to it the ministry of death the old covenant, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So Paul is introducing essentially the same thing that Hebrews is here, the contrast between the old and the new. That the old had a glory to it. So much so that, that even the old covenant bore such a glory of God that, that the people couldn't look at Moses' face after he'd spent time with the Lord. So if that's the case, that what Paul refers to as the ministry of death, the old covenant that brought condemnation, um, if that had such glory, how about how much more glory will the ministry of the Spirit have? The new covenant. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Now what's he talking about? Well, what, what did the Ten Commandments, we, we spent time going through this in Exodus. The Ten Commandments really did a couple of things. One, it laid out a path for living out a life in in God's blessing. Kind of laid out the boundaries for here lies the blessing of God. If you want to walk in the blessing of God, you need to stay within the bounds that God prescribes. But the second thing it does is it accuses and condemns. The law never justified anyone. It only accused and condemned 
the, all, all the, the law was only a, a red pin that just marked X's. Right? It was, the law was never an, one of those stickers you, you, you hope to get that just said, excellent, awesome, good work. The law just said, wrong, 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 fail, fail, fail. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Very similar language that Hebrews uses to talk about the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, um, compared to the old. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more um, will, will, much more will what is permanent have glory. So there's a contrast going on here that the old is insufficient, the new is sufficient, that there's a contrast between the ministry of death and the, the ministry of life in the Spirit, the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness that comes with Christ. That is that on the, rather than just being accused and, and having your paper marked up with X's, we have a means for now being justified and made right. right. It's one thing to be told you're wrong. It's another thing to now be told how to fix it. Right? I mean, what if all the mechanic did when you drove your car in there was say, here's what's wrong with it. That, that'll be 200 bucks. See ya. Wow, that's really helpful. At least now I know why my car does that. But what you really are hoping for is that they say, here's what's wrong with it, and I have a part for that. Right? Well, when Christ came, the law still says, you deserve to be condemned. The law still says, accuses you. But Christ now says, but I have paid the price of that accusation. I have carried the load of that guilt for you. It is paid in full. That's something the old covenant could never do for anyone. Look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Uh, I I love this is in uh, three of the Gospels. Uh, I really I have to say I prefer Luke's Luke's account over the other two because of one thing that Luke includes that the others don't, and it comes at the tail end of this. And they said to him the uh, and they said to him the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the, uh, and the, pe- the, piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put 
into fresh wineskins. So the idea is here, uh, if you have an old pair of pants that needs to have a hole patched, and you take a new piece of material and put it on an old pair of pants, the new material, when it's washed, is going to shrink and now not fit the spot that you put it on. And so, so uh, like that is the wine, that if we take an old wineskin and try to uh, um, recycle that with new wine that is going to ferment and expand, the old wineskin can't handle that expansion. It's already seen its day of stretching. And it's no longer pliable to handle the new wine. And so what will happen is that the wine and the skin will get destroyed in the process. And so new wine needs a new wine skin. What is is Jesus communicating here? He's saying, in essence, that the old system can't handle Messiah. The old system was built for pointing forward to Messiah coming. But the old system was not made uh, for Messiah to operate in. He fulfills it. He puts an end to that old covenant and begins a new covenant. One that is fit for an age where Messiah now has come. Where, Where sinners can find forgiveness and grace and acceptance into the kingdom of God based on a righteousness of Messiah, not based on a righteousness of trying to attain something through the keeping of regulations. And so the old covenant system will not work with the coming of Jesus. But verse verse 39 is why I really like Luke's account. Because it points to a harsh truth that sometimes we hate to admit. He says, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. The old is comfortable. The old is what I know. The old is what I've trusted in all my life up to this point. That's what's going on in Hebrews here. There are folks who are still trying to practice the old covenant. Around those, obviously Hebrews is written here to believers, but around those Jewish believers are their Jewish friends, their Jewish neighbors, their Jewish family members who are still practicing the old covenant. It's familiar. It's what they've trusted in. It's what they've grown up in. Um, It's what they know. And so, no one after drinking the old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. I like the old. I prefer the old. I don't like new stuff. I don't like change. Guys, that's how I knew I was starting to get old. As I, I remember, uh, it was just a few years ago, I told Jenny, I said, why can't they just make the same pair of pants and just stick with it? Why do they have to keep changing stuff? I finally, after 40-some years, found a pair of pants I love, and then they go and change it. I like the old And this is what we tend to gravitate to. See, we gravitate, we are wired to have relationship and fellowship with our Creator. But our default mode 
is to go towards religion to accomplish that. And and it it looks all different ways. Um, When we look at current events today, what we are largely looking at is people grabbing a hold of a religion of their choice and working it out in their own kind of faith. Faith in a political system, faith in an ideology, faith in a different God, whatever it is. They are working out their religious system and working as hard as they can to live it out. But we were not created for religion. We were created for fellowship with our Creator. The Old Covenant system And actually, Hebrews 11 provides some real insight into the Old Covenant. Um, Because Hebrews 11 will point out to us that there were some living under the Old Covenant who were actually considered righteous. But wait a minute, I thought the Old Covenant didn't actually provide righteousness. I thought that came through Christ. That's the beauty of Hebrews 11, is it points out the difference between those who are declared righteous under the Old Covenant, and those who weren't is that those who were declared righteous were those who looked forward knowing that God would save them. It came by faith, not by religious practice. Here are some things between differences between the old and the new. When we try to work out a religion as opposed to living in fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the old, the essence of, the evil, of our evil heart remains. That is, not, that is unchanged. It's like the cleaning of the cup on the outside but not the inside. There's an external purity and righteousness. Uh, a facade. Uh, maybe a sincere attempt but still a facade. There's condemnation. Fear. Fear of God's judgment. Um, A striving. It's one of the things that Hebrews speaks of previously is that God offers rest from the striving. Striving for what? Striving in our religious efforts. uh, Whatever Again, whatever that is, whether it's under the old Jewish uh, system, the old covenant here, or whether it's under something that looks quite different nowadays uh, from the surface, um, whether we're pouring ourselves into some other uh, type of religion, that, that it, it is a striving. It is never done. It is never accomplished. It is never sufficient. And what also it promotes is uh, our religious efforts promote pride. Um, for some, it, it, it just promotes a, a fear and a feeling like I can never attain it because there's that reality that you can't. But for some, like the Pharisees, where Jesus encountered them, it was pride. Look at me. I'm checking off the boxes. Um, stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. The old was kind of a cleaning up, a polishing up of sinners. But this is in contrast to what comes with Christ. Let's look at the new. Instead of 
having the essence of your evil heart remaining, you will become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Completely new. Not taking the old and try to spruce it up a bit, make it more acceptable, but rather a, a, a removal of the old and an imparting of a new. Internal purity and righteousness. The inside of the cup is cleaned. Reconciliation rather than condemnation. Being made right with God. Not just being accused. Not just being told you're insufficient, you're wrong, you fail, you fall short, you're corrupt. But rather being reconciled with God. Rather than um, fear that we have confidence. Confidence to approach God. Rather than striving, we have rest. Rather than pride, it promotes humility. Because there's only one way that we obtain this kind of righteousness by faith in Christ. And it is when we get to the point of humility where we recognize we are sinners in need of God's forgiveness. And last, it transforms sinners. So we're not just talking about cleaning up something on the outside, but an actual transformation. See, you can, uh, uh, this used to kind of crack me up when I would think about it as a kid. You probably, uh, in high school, right, when everybody's getting their car, and I was guilty of it too. Like I had this old 78 Chevy Scottsdale pickup uh, that if I pushed too hard on the floor, my foot would go through it because it was rusted out, right? I could see the ground going by as we're driving along. And um, that, that thing was all kinds of uh, just rough looking. Um, but do you know what I did? First thing I did, any guesses first thing I did with this pickup? I put a new radio in it. Because you know that covers a multitude of sins. A new sound system covers it all up, and that baby will purr like a kitten if it just has an updated radio in it. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times in the high school parking lot I would see a $100 car going by with a $600 stereo in it, right? You know, you can put a... You can put a uh, several hundred dollars worth of stereo into a hundred dollar car and you still have a hundred dollar car. Right? Well, you can polish up a sinner in all sorts of ways and you still have a sinner. But what Christ has come to do is to change sinners. Transform sinners. Taking what is dead and making it alive. In John chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus had an encounter with the Samaritan woman. And uh, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, and when she says you say, she's talking about you as a Jew. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jerusalem being where the temple is. And Jesus is saying, well, listen, uh, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, like your, your forefathers have told you to worship, nor in Jerusalem, like the Jews yeah, say you're supposed to worship, um, that it's not going to happen in either place. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, what we know. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the Jews, the Jews had a, a knowledge of God given to them that, that was sufficient to lead them to Messiah. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. What Jesus is talking about is a reformation. A reformation of the old covenant system. Something new and different being introduced. Where the place... Um, was not as important anymore because the place was going to change from a physical location to the physical body that the person resides. That that is where worship is going to happen through the Spirit of God. God is Spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus came not to give us a better religion, but actually to do away with it. Now that is not to say that we do not have a religious practice that we keep. And by that I mean a way a, a series of things, uh, habits that we keep, that we work out our worship and service and honoring of God. For we do that, frankly, every Sunday morning, don't we? We have a, a kind of religious practice that we keep. But if you came here this morning thinking that your participation in this worship service was going to gain you some kind of favor towards God, You've misunderstood religious practice within the age of Messiah. Because religious practice now is not about attaining favor of God, but rather responding out of gratitude for what He's done for us. A worship and an honor of Him for all that He has done. Rather than a a keeping of, of regulations in hopes that it's enough. Now there are two ways in which we are transformed. And the Bible speaks to both of these. One is, uh, I'm going to use two, two terms. Uh, you can choose different terms if you want. But positionally and practically. Positionally, um, I, I that one's helpful to me to use that word because I think of an object being placed somewhere. It, is, it either is there or it's not there. Like you either did park your car at the front of the church or you didn't park your car at the front of the church. It's, it's defined. It is what it is. That's not going to change. Even if you forget and you, th- you know, at, let's say you go to Costco, positionally your car is where it is. 
In your head, it may be somewhere else, and it may take you a while to remember where it positionally is, but positionally, it is where it is, and that fact does not change just because you forgot where you parked it, or just because your car happens to match about 12 other cars that are in that same row, right? Your car is where it is. Positionally, you are where you are before the Father. And Christ transforms us and makes us factually something that does not change. That is that when we come to Christ by faith, he forgives us of our sins and we are clothed in his righteousness and made acceptable to God. That is positional. That is fact. Now you feel that way. You feel like you're forgiven. You don't feel like you're forgiven. You feel like you're worthy of His righteousness. You don't feel like you're worthy. You feel like you belong to God. You don't feel like you belong to God. Irrelevant of that. That is either factually true or untrue of you. You either do belong to God or you don't belong to Him. You either do trust in Christ for salvation or you don't trust in Christ for salvation. But there is another way in which we are transformed. So we are transformed from death to life, from not belonging to God to a child of God. That is positional. That doesn't change. But there's another way in which we're transformed, and that is an ongoing becoming like Jesus. And that is happening day by day by day, moment by moment by moment. In which God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, And the effect that the Word of God takes on our life under the direction of the Holy Spirit is teaching us and helping us to grow in our likeness to Jesus Christ. As you and I seek to live out our life in Christ, trusting in Him, loving Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him, serving Him, we are becoming like Him. And in that way, we are being transformed. It is essentially that you have been made a child of God, adopted into His family, and now the Holy Spirit is teaching you how to live like one. You know, that that saying like, uh, um, you know, you, you, you win a big game or something and... and and somebody says, hey, act like you've been here before, right? Act like you're a winner instead of acting like you're surprised that you pulled one off, right? You are a child of God. Now learn to be like one. Learn to behave like one. Learn to think like one. Learn to have your heart directed like one. Learn to serve like one. Learn to love like one. Learn to worship like one. And that is actually what the Apostle Paul uh, continues on with there in chapter, chapter 3. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry. If we picked up in verse 12. Um, I'll read it to you here. Since we have such a hope, remember he had just said, for, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. 
For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Remember, Paul points out two kinds of glory. The glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new. And he said, you're being transformed from a likeness to one living under the old covenant to the likeness of one who lives as Christ. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you haven't given your life to Christ, positionally, you don't belong to God yet. Positionally, you are not Uh, going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, then the place where you are, your parking spot, is is factually just not in a place belonging to God. But you can change that by asking Christ to enter your life to forgive you of your sins to make you a child of God. And all of us, once we have placed our faith in Christ then, are in a place of being transformed day by day, growing in likeness to Him. And I just want to encourage you, because today may be a day where you just feel like you stunk it up. Or maybe that was yesterday. Or maybe it was all last week where you felt like as a believer you just really messed things up and fell short. You know what? You are being transformed right now. What comes on the heels of failure is success if that failure causes you to turn back to God and say, okay, teach me your ways. Teach me how to do this your way. Teach me how to love your way. Teach me how to think your way. Teach me how to turn away from sin and turn towards the things of God. You are in process. And your guilt over your sin, it is meant to lead you back to Christ. And once it does, it has no usefulness in your life anymore. The enemy then takes over and says, you're guilty, you're shameful, you don't deserve it, you're not worthy. Throw in the towel. But guilt over sin, let it lead you back to Christ and then let Christ teach you his ways from there and leave the guilt in the past. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness in sending your son for us. Lord, not just to polish us up on the outside and help us work twice as hard to get half as far, but Lord, to change who we are. Lord, to take these dead people and make them alive. To make us a new creation in Christ. To change us, transform us from being enemies of God to being children of God. 
Now teach us, Lord, how to live like that, how to live like children who belong to you. Help us to walk in your ways. Lord, and for those who perhaps are on the edge of giving their life to you, I ask that you would, um, by your spirit, that you would help them to take that first step of trusting you. That they would ask you for forgiveness of their sins. That they would ask you to make them new. To give them your life. To teach them your ways. To make them a child of God. To give them the hope of eternal life. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.